if you had asked me two months before that, I would have never, I would have said, you are nuts. I can't run it. I don't know how to run a company. I don't have ideas. And then I did. And I had to trust myself and believe in myself and the fact that I knew what I was talking about. There was a gap that I could fill and believe in it, that it wasn't just an idea, that it was an actual business. And, and I think for me, once I did that, it was, I'm all in. Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. I want to welcome this week's guest, Kate Luzio, to our show today. Kate is the founder and CEO of Luminary, a membership-based career and personal growth platform and collaboration hub. Kate spent two decades in financial services leading global multi-billion dollar businesses. Although Kate is highly respected in the field and was included in the most powerful women in banking list multiple times, she witnessed firsthand the disproportionate number of women rising up to leadership positions and wanted to make a big difference. In a very sharp career pivot, she left to start Luminary in 2018 to help women see a path towards advancement by arming them with tools, resources, and a community to propel them to the top. We'll chat with Kate about how to achieve success and lead in corporate environments, how she translated her very successful career in banking to her new life as an entrepreneur, what she did to push through those fears and insecurities she had prior to launching, and the importance of community at every stage of your career and life. Welcome to the show, Kate. I'm so excited to be here and it's so great. I know this is audio, but it's so great to actually see you after so many years. I know. And for our listeners, Kate and I go way back. I've talked a lot about my banking career and Kate was a massive inspiration and role model for me. So I just feel honored that you're with us and our audience get to learn more about you because you are just such a powerhouse. So it's an honor. You made it such an impression back in the day, right? Even at a younger age and earlier in your career. So I am proud to be on this and really excited to be a part of the session. Thank you. So on the podcast, we always love to start from the beginning. And I actually want to start with a specific story from your childhood where you came home crying because you got pushed down when playing stickball and your dad told you, brush yourself off, Kate, and get back out there. I think this does a good job kind of showing how you were raised and your family life. So I'd love to hear more about that story and your childhood. I really kind of credit my parents. Most people do, right? But I think that story is so pivotal in my life because I have brothers, one on each side, and I grew up in a neighborhood full of boys, literally all boys. And there was one other girl. We weren't that close because I loved athletics and I wanted to be just like the guys. I didn't want to be thought of as as anything different. And the moment that happened that I remember, and I was young, um, was a defining moment in that what I remember hearing was, you know, don't be a baby in a sense. Not, And I don't mean that in a negative way, but you should be out on that playing field just as much as your little brother does and just as much as the other kids. And so the minute you show that you are a little bit weaker, then they are going to take advantage of that. From that moment on, I mean, I literally, he was like, get up, walk it off. You're fine. Get back out there. No more crying. And I've lived my life like that, right? I've lived my academic career, my athletics, growing up all through through high school and college, and then, and then work. And I think 
for me, it is, you know, if anyone remembers A League of Their Own, the Tom Hanks movie with Gina Davis, there's no crying in baseball. Is you have got to make your mark. And you know what? You are going to get pushed down a million times in your life. The defining part is can you get back up and just keep going? And that for me is a story. And by the way, that's not just one story. That happened in my childhood <laughs> dozens of times. And it was coaches telling me that. And it was my uncles telling me that. And it was over my career, my mentors telling me that. It's been sort of this thread in my story. Absolutely. And it's great to see just how your your parents kind of taught you the power of resiliency. I think that's the biggest gift to give anybody, because like you said, you know, life is crazy as you go up the ranks or switch careers, your personal life, professional life, so much happens. And it's like, how do you build that resilience just to power through and continue to succeed? So it seems like they did a good job at a very young age with you. So speaking a little bit about your mom and your dad, you know, you grew up in New Jersey, your mom was a teacher, your dad was an FBI agent. And I know after college, you were determined that you wanted to follow your father's footsteps, but life had very different plans for you. You actually started working in the nonprofit space. So can you take us back to that time and also specifically a conversation you had with your CFO that I really think changed the trajectory of your career at that moment? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I was inspired by my parents. They both have tremendous work ethic. I think they always put the greater good ahead of themselves. And my father being a public servant, my mom, in a sense, being a public servant as a teacher, you know, but always thinking of how do I advocate for others? How do I stand up for others while standing up for myself? And so I think just growing up in that, I certainly was just always in, in, in awe of what my dad did. And so that was natural for me. I wanted to be like him. And and my father kind of growing up in government, he was always that orator. He was a mayor. He had relationships. And I loved that. I loved that he was a people person and people gravitated toward him. So for me, it was like, okay, I can do that. I want to do that. And it's very, it's interesting and I'll learn. And then to be very honest, I don't think I've ever told this story in my life publicly. I was at University of Maryland. I was going for an internship at the FBI agent. My dad's going to kill me. And I had tried smoking pot once this summer before. Experimental. And I went into this interview and it's like this 30 page application. And they asked me, they give you like your drug history. And, and I filled it out honestly and said, I tried pot. And they said, I'm sorry, you're immediately disqualified. Now, on the one hand, it was like, holy, I, what? And I cried and I cried. And, and then I said, I have to now actually go home and tell my parents this. My father was in the FBI. He's going to find out, right? He's an investigator. My father actually, their response was disappointment, of course, right? But then it was, we appreciate your honesty. And, you know, you just move forward and we'll see what happens. So fast forward, I get into nonprofit because I wanted to give back. And that was in my bones and in my and in, in sort of what I did. And, and then that conversation with our CFO at the time, I remember crying in that conversation. Like I wasn't good enough. His message originally landed like, you got to get out of here. And immediately as a typical woman. And I mean this in a nice way. It's like, oh, I'm not good enough. I didn't do the best job. And he said, no, 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 no. You're doing a great job. It's that I want you to be able to use everything and all of these tools and go out there and make a lot of money. And not that that's the path for everyone, 
and then give back. And by the way, you can do that simultaneously. And here I am, you know, 20 year, 20 plus years later and, and doing that. It's interesting to see because your main mission in life has always been to give back. And you clearly are doing that with Luminary, but you've even done that in banking and being in the finance world. Like I feel fortunate that I got to see that. So you're working in this nonprofit, your CFO tells you you want to leave. You're a little scared and upset because you you don't really know what next step to take. So how did you land in the world of banking and finance? Because I know that wasn't something you wanted to do at that time. No, I mean, if you ask people <laughs> that knew me in college and high school and they would have said, Kate, Luzio is going to be a banker, they would have literally laughed. I laughed. I had no finance background, no accounting, no business. I had never taken any of those, those courses in college or by the way, in my master's degree. But when I left the nonprofit, it was the beginning, really the the middle of the tech boom, the original tech boom. Google was just starting and I was in the Northern Virginia, DC area. All of these companies were coming to the East Coast and hiring. And and I got a job at at a little tiny little startup and doing customer service, corporate development, whatever that even meant back then. And I had the opportunity to work for the the chief technology officer and the CEO, learning on the job. And that's what I did. And, you know, eight months into that job, I had the opportunity to go to China. Long story short, kind of two years of working on joint ventures at 24 years old in China. I came back, decided I wanted to go back to school. That company that I was working for helped me pay for my education. I went at night. And in the midst of all that, I get recruited by a bank that I I remember thinking, why are they even talking to me? I know nothing about this. I, I All I know is what I've been doing and I love international and uh, I now have a, getting a master's degree. And I will never forget what they said to me in the interview process was, we like your profile. And I had never really heard that term. And I kind of dug into that and they said, you know, you, you obviously I, I'm smart. I'm a go-getter. I'm a risk taker. I have international knowledge and experience. And that wasn't a profile that they had in the bank at the time. And they wanted more of that. And I think also the fact that I was a woman was, was to my advantage. And that was in, you know, rare, you know, 20, 22 years ago. So, and that was it. And I just thought, I mean, I'll do this for a couple of years. They want me, I'll learn. I'll, it was a bit much bigger salary than I was making. And then lo and behold, you know, 18 years later, I was still doing it. Incredible. And it just shows, you know, you have always been a risk taker. And even when you were in banking, you were always building teams and getting sent to another amazing country. And you still had that international experience under your belt in the firm when we were together at JP Morgan really fostered that in you. You know, one thing I'd love to talk about, and this might be a very big question, but two decades in banking, you were always thriving, going up the ranks, doing very well. What advice do you have for women who are in the corporate world, who are looking to thrive? You know, are there certain things that you think really helped you get to where you were when you were in those firms? Yeah. And and I will tell people now, even though I'm an entrepreneur, I love the corporate world, right? And I still do. And, And never say never. And it's why we work with so many corporate members at Luminary. You know, one of the things that I learned really early was, was to build my network. And to do that by really, truly building relationships and not transactionally, but investing in those relationships. I remember that first bank that I worked at, someone said, you need a godfather. And this is, this is a long time ago. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, you need to hit yourself to someone. 
then you kind of, you know, you ride on their coattails. And I thought that is terrible, but I didn't understand in a sense, they met a mentor and a sponsor, right? It was just a different way of looking at it. For me, that next conversation was, well, that's great, but I don't want it to be one person because what if that one person leaves or what if that one person isn't the right person? So how do I really develop relationships? And part of that also led itself to, I'm learning in the process. I'm learning about that individual. I'm learning about that role. I'm learning about that business. So take in as much as I can. And that's never stopped, right? As I got more and more senior and as I, you know, I climbed the ladder, it was all about learning and the other person. I remember at JP Morgan, when I took the job running the multinational corporate banking, honestly, I spent two full days on literally on our intranet looking at acronyms that I was not familiar with. And then I wrote a list of everyone I needed to meet and build relationships with. I've done that in every single job. And, and if you don't know who those people are, you ask your boss. That's my advice. Build that network. If you don't know who to talk to, ask your boss, hey boss, who should I meet? Who should I know? Who should I spend time with? Who should I shadow? They say no one, then you're in the wrong place. Hey boss, I'm looking for opportunities for additional mentoring and development. Any ideas? That boss should be all over that because you are raising your hand. And then the last thing I would say is do not keep your head down. Keep your head up. Be visible. That is the way you are going to get exposure. Keep your hand in the air. I want to work on this. I want to learn. I mean, how I met you was I was based in London. You're in New York. I would come to New York. You're like, hey, could I have a half an hour on your schedule just to learn about you? Boom. That's an easy way to build a relationship. And here we are 10 plus years later talking and we followed each other throughout our journeys. That should never be underestimated in not just in the corporate world, but I think for any woman or man, it is so much about relationships. And if you are not taking time to invest in those, I think it will go to your detriment. That is gold. And it's something I talk a lot about on this podcast because it's really changed my life, right? Like you said, this 30 minute meeting, you weren't even in the same country, but I was like, what woman can I look up to? Who can I see myself with? What advice does she have? And like you said, even now, both of us are not in the corporate world and we're still doing that in the entrepreneurial journey. So if you're listening, if you can start those skills and hone in, it will only benefit where you are. And even from the you know, from the corporate standpoint, if you want to switch teams, if you want to switch groups and try something new, instead of applying, build those relationships, because that happened to me so many times and it, it is possible. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. So although you had incredible experience under your belt and you enjoyed working in banking, you still talk about that. You had one conversation with your mentor that I know really shifted the way you thought about your career, where he said, Kate, you know, how do you want to make an impact? I know shortly after you went full force into Luminary, but before that, you knew you wanted to do something. You weren't sure if it was Luminary. You didn't think you were going to be an entrepreneur. What was going on in your mind when you were kind of in that in-between of unknown, but wanting to make that bigger impact? And that mentor was from JP Morgan, right? Don McCree. I talk about him a lot and he's still a mentor and it was chaotic. I, I will tell you for many people, you work for milestones, right? You work for the next ro the role, you work for the next raise, you work for the next promotion. And then that's why I, it's also one of the reasons why I did love corporate America, because I liked having that reinforcement. And also what do I need to work on? When I left and then really was not 100% sure if I was going to go to another bank, if I was going to go to 
a client perhaps, and ended up then writing this business plan. Chaotic meaning I don't know what to do with myself. I have never taken a break other than like a vacation in my life. I have, I became a bit depressed to be honest, because I wasn't on all the time. And I am an on all the time person. That's just my personality. And so I will tell you, it was a little, it was very scary. And then lo and behold, you know, not even two months into this, this time frame, probably six weeks or less, then I wrote the business plan. But I am not a person and I, I give so much credit to people who can have big side hustles and figure out what they want to do while they're working. That was never going to be me. I would have never been able to, to give my full attention to my job. And at that time I was at HSBC and I had a global role. I wouldn't have felt guilty. That's just my personality. That doesn't mean that's everyone. And so not working or not being in that I'm on all the time did allow me and my brain to say, okay, where was I having impact outside of making money and, and helping clients, which was a big part of it. But what was driving me? What did I, what was I getting a lot out of and what did I think was missing? And that was really around the pipeline in women. And we just haven't got it right. And I know as a woman, I can help get it right. And you've had enough corporate experience where you've kind of seen the pitfalls, you've managed enough people. So when you had that aha moment, you know, two months in, what did you first do? I know you said you wrote down your business plan, but for women listening today who have these ideas, I want to put it down on paper. Where did you start in the business plan? And what were some of the key elements you wanted to make sure you had on paper for your own sanity before you went all in? I had been at an event, another woman's event, and it was fine. And I came home and I said, there's got to be a better way to do all of this. And, and I called my boyfriend and he was traveling at the time. And I was talking a million miles an hour. And he's like, write it down. And I was like, write what down? I'm just, talking. and he said, just write it down. I think, I think there's something like, write it down. And so I wrote it down. I just sort of started writing. And for me coming from all of those years in corporate America, I did have experience in writing business plans and strategic plans and doing market research and PowerPoints out the, you know what? And I literally just started, I, I kind of wrote what I, an idea and then first started into, okay, what does the market look like? What are other companies doing? What are the organizations out there that are supporting women? And the other thing was, I realized that we can all coexist, right? And so it doesn't have to be one. If one organization that's supporting women is successful, then we've done ourselves a disservice. There are so many women to help. And so two weeks, I I wrote, I literally, I remember, it was actually one week I didn't get out of my pajamas and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. And then that next week I started cultivating it even more and then sat down and said, do I have something? And then started calling friends and saying, what do you think? And then realized that if I was going to do this, that I had to stop interviewing. I had to stop ongoing negotiations with the company and I was I going to do this or not? And then I realized I was going to self-fund it. I did my financial projections and said, I want to own this. Again, if you had asked me two months before that, I would have never, I would have said, you are nuts. I, just like I said, I would never be, I wouldn't, no one would ever think I was a banker. I would have said, I can't run it. I don't know how to run a company. I don't have ideas. And then I did. 
And I had to trust myself and believe in myself and the fact that I knew what I was talking about. There was a gap that I could fill and believe in it, that it wasn't just an idea, that it was an actual business. And, and I think for me, once I did that, it was, I'm all in. And I think what you said in terms of taking the time to really think, I know it's so hard, especially for me. And I actually did something very similar to you. I left a very stable, lucrative job. I knew I was unhappy. I wasn't sure where I was going to go. And it was a scary in between, but my business idea came two months in and I went all into that. So I think, you know, I don't recommend that for everybody. Of course, it depends on your financial situation. I saved a lot of money. I was very thoughtful about the break that I took. And I knew I could always go back into the world of finance or startup life. But I think it's very interesting once you become clear and really think about what brings me joy, the aha moment hits. And it sounds crazy, but it's very similar to your story is how I kind of came about my path. I think that idea of going back, right? Some people will say, well, I don't want to go back. I'm leaving for a reason. Here's the thing. And for anyone listening out there, I'm doing this right now, right? I've been doing it for two and a half years. I'm 46 years old. I would tomorrow, if for some reason this doesn't all work out, I would love to go back into banking. I loved it. I love my career. I would love to go work for another big company. Maybe it's running DE and I, I don't know. You have to be open and you have to understand that. And this is the four R's, right? It's you have to build relationships, a resume, results, and a reputation. If you have those four things, you can go back, you can adapt, you can evolve, you can pivot to anything. Amen. And I'm sure even in your experience, looking back at the two and a half years, I'm sure you've learned so much, right? Doesn't it feel like decades of experience? It feels longer than my bank. Absolutely. <laughs> so you have all that experience under your belt. So whatever position you want to go into, if you wanted to leave your business, you know, you have so much skills under your, your belt. So I know 14 months going and starting Luminary, there was a global pandemic during COVID. And I know you also got COVID at the time. And you lost 40% of your revenue. So 80, 80. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The company completely shifted. So how did you manage to keep your own mental sanity at bay, as well as keeping your company afloat in such a tough time in such an infancy stage of your company? So there's this part of me goes back to that walk it off and, you know, get yourself up and keep going that my dad and said, I was like, failure to me is giving up. I just don't believe that you fall down and you fail. I feel like if you make the conscious effort to just give up, then to me, that's, that's, I fail. I was not going to give up. I knew 14 months into this, whatever the, the dates were that I was building something with that was having impact. How did I know that one, we were doing well. Number two, we were growing our community. Number three, we were, I was getting emails and DMS every day about the impact. And then the pandemic hit and, you know, you're thrown into these situations and you can either just give up or come out swinging. And I was raised in every situation to come out swinging. And if we weren't going to make it, I was going to give my best efforts to make sure we tried. And whether that was looking at different payment plans we had to cut salary for all of our staff um, for a few months as we sort of thought about how we made it through it. And the positives, all of those years of running businesses and, and understanding what it takes to make it through a crisis, right? And I was leading a huge team through the financial crisis was you need less debt, more liquidity, 
right? As a startup, as a self-funded company, we, we weren't, you know, tons, but we had no debt and we had liquidity and we could pull levers within our business model to see what worked. I think not having investors, not having someone telling me what I had to do, what I could do, when I could do it, allowed us to be very nimble, allowed us to, to try new things. Some things worked, some things didn't. And so there was just no way I was going down without a fight. And, you know, here we are 15, 16 months later, and we're here and we're growing and that's great. And we're not out of the woods yet. You know, we don't know what's going to happen, but we're here. My team is here. We didn't let go of anyone and we're still making impact. And so I'm proud of what we've accomplished. I'm proud to still be here. And and the, the last thing that I would say is a lot of people sort of just cowered and I get that. But that's just not who I am as a leader, as a manager, as a business owner. It was, if you want to take me down COVID, both me personal, you've got another thing coming. And, uh, and it has not been easy. It's never easy as a business owner, as an entrepreneur. I will say it has been the hardest year of my life and the best year of my life. Amazing. And looking back at the past year, when you were writing that initial business plan, I'm sure you guys have pivoted so much to where you are today. Did you ever envision some of the changes that the business have gone through this year that that would even be kind of your next step or the near future of Luminary? To be honest, no. You know, we wanted to always build when we started an in-person model and that convening and starting in New York and, and what did that look like? I also knew that I didn't want to take on a bunch of debt and a bunch of other spaces. And that was, I wanted to be sustainable and profitable and impactful in New York before I even started looking. The digital wasn't even in our business plan other than member engagement. I mean, it wasn't even, it was nothing. And the day, actually there was a member, two of our members were stuck in China. Actually, they're both still in China. And they, they DM'd me and said, Kate, we miss you. We're not getting out of here anytime soon. And this is way worse than everyone thinks. And so for me, it was, okay, let's have contingency. And it was Women's History Month. And we had this community and we needed to be there for them. So before New York was even shut down or locked down, we went online and we just said, if this is going to be a week, if this is going to be a month, whatever this is going to look like, it doesn't matter. We have to be there for the community that we have built. And if people have to leave for lots of different reasons, we're going to understand that. And we lost a lot of members because of financial, job loss, partner loss, moved away. We lost all of our event revenue, right? Overnight. And, but that was not our fault. So we knew that wasn't our fault and we had to come up very quickly with new ideas and innovation. And I think that's been a silver lining for us. My mom, I always say is like the she always says what, you know, everything happens for a reason, silver linings. I never, I never truly believed that until now. I love to hear that. And I, I'm so glad you explained that because I think sometimes some people might be in a tough position in their business, but if you can be innovative and pivot, I mean, that is really what's going to take you to the next level. And just kind of seeing how digital wasn't even on your mind when you started. And look, now it's a massive part of your business. And now Luminary is global versus just in New York. So talk about silver lining. That's incredible. 
You know, one thing you've mentioned a few times in the interview is the importance of you self-funding the business. You know, I want to talk a little bit more about this in twofold. I know since you were young, the importance of saving, even when you had that first job and you weren't doing well, I'd love for you to talk more about that because I think that mentality allowed you to self-fund your business. Yeah. It goes back to my parents. I mean, I, when you have working class parents in a, a, you know, middle-class life, you know, family we were always told like, save your money and, and why, and one, one to save your money so that you can have college, but two, so that you know the value of a dollar and that you work really hard. And I, I learned that not in a negative way from the time I could have a checking and a savings account and get a job. Was it expected of me? Yes. But that was part of what like drove me and my brothers and they're both successful. And the same with college. It was like, you're going to go to college and get into a good college and then you're going to get a good job. So this idea of saving money, and it's not always, and I've always not always been able to save. Like there have been plenty of times in our lives, especially when you're starting out, like you can't, like you're living paycheck to paycheck. Once I started really working in banking and, and saving, it was like, I'm gonna save, I'm gonna save, I'm gonna save. One of the other things is like my parents taught, don't live above your means. And they never did. And there was always food on the table, and they always gave us a great Christmas and, and all of these wonderful things. We had privilege right? At the middle-class level. And so for me, and I understand this, like I have had enormous privilege in being able to work in banking and save that money, but that was just part of who I was. And so I get a lot of times people ask me, well, I can't do that. And I want to quit my job and start my own company. Well, maybe it's not the right time then to quit your job and start their company. If you can't fundraise or if you want to fundraise and that's part of your strategy, fine. But I do think there is this for me, it was like, I'm not going to do this if I can't do it, where I have a safety net, where I don't want to go into debt, where I'm still building on retirement. And it has, guys, I mean, it has not been easy, right? My first two years of this, I didn't take a dollar. Like I didn't take a salary. People can agree or disagree with that. That was what I did. I put all the money back into the company. And, and I think the self-funding journey has also made me so acutely aware of every single dollar and also how we, how we spend it. What's coming in is great, but you more importantly, what's coming out. And I just don't think if I had investors and I funded a bunch of money, I don't think I would be as acutely aware of that. And so I think for me, it's been part of that as a kid, you know, putting every birthday money you got into the bank, that's what you do. That's the approach I've taken with the company, but then reinvesting in the company, like I did in our, my education, right. For college, my parents were smart. They are smart. And it's interesting. You mentioned a good point in terms of, you know, of course you can go down the path of raising money, but if you want to self-fund a business and you don't have those means yet, it might not be the right time. You know, I saved my money for gosh, how long was it? I probably was working 12 years and I finally felt comfortable for myself, right? It gave me the peace of mind to say, okay, I'm ready to take this big risk, but at least I know I'll be okay, right? Because I've saved X amount. And once I kind of go above my means, I can go get a job or figure it out. But I think that's the right way to think about in terms of, you know, everybody has a different timeline on what works for them and when they feel good with that safety net. And, you know, another thing I want to talk more about is obviously shifting into this entrepreneurial life. You've talked a lot about the power of networking and relationships. Has that changed for you starting Luminary? Have you, were you reaching out to more entrepreneurial or startup women and men in the space to kind of be your mentor in this new world that you're in? You know, I don't think I knew that when I started. 
I was a little bit naive in that, you know, I'll just tap into my corporate network and that's great too. And it's been very fruitful in, in both growing our community and our corporate members. But I underestimated the loneliness of the journey, the isolation of the being isolated of the journey of the roller coaster. And so very early on, as I started to meet other entrepreneurs, particularly women, given the space I'm in, I was very open, like what I was going through. I didn't want to hide it. I needed help. I needed to understand what, what these journeys could look like. And I will say for the most part, I have, I have created a whole new network and community and relationships of people, particularly women, but yes, some men too, that are remarkably my peer mentors, my mentors, my, my, my spiritual guides, because just being able to talk about what I'm going through, the loneliness, the pandemic, the fear factor, the pressure and the worry and the social media craziness. You don't have that necessarily in, in, in a corporate job. And so it's different. So yes, absolutely. I think I have been very mindful to nurture both of those networks, my founder community that I work with, as well as my network from what I built up over the last 20 years. And, and both are equally as important. Yes. And you know, as you kind of, like you mentioned, went down the journey, it does feel lonely and finding other people who have either been in that position or are going through that really does make a difference. And as I'm going down my own path, I'm beginning to realize more and more how important that is, especially as the company's growing a little bit, there's always bigger milestones to hit and more fear and more risk to take. So it just shows how important it is. So it's great to hear its impact in your life. You know, you have so many startups that are working in Luminary. You mentor so many entrepreneurs. What would you say are some of the mistakes that women founders are making early in their business that you see often? They don't have business plans. I know it's not the cool thing to do. Everyone wants to write a deck and that's fine, but you need to have some type of business plan. You need to have financial projections. How the heck are you going to know if your business is successful? How are you going to know if you need to raise money? How are you going to know how much money is coming in and out? What are your KPIs? Like that's a business plan. The other thing is having that North Star keeps you focused. It keeps you building the company. It keeps you building the right culture. It keeps you aligned to whatever mission you have. I don't care if you're selling. I have a great friend, Jackie DeJesu, who runs Shower Cap. If you're selling a Shower Cap, or you're selling a membership at Luminary, right? What is your North Star? And I think so many times founders lose their way. They also get caught up in, I got to do everything, or I got to be on every platform and social media, and I've got to look a certain way. For me, there is the business plan. There is really understanding your model and the market you're going after. There is having a business versus an idea. And so much of that can be figured out by creating a business plan. And it doesn't need to be 50 pages. It can be five. I, I do a SWOT analysis. You come from corporate America. It just helps. And I, and I just think I, I teach every month a business plan bootcamp at Luminary. And 95% of every time they don't have business plans. And so for me, that 20 something years of experience helped me to be able to do that. And I just think it's so important for founders. I also think You've got to know what you're getting into. Are you self-funding? Are you raising? What are you looking to raise? The pros and cons and all of that. Do you want to own your company for the rest of your life? Do you want to sell it? What's your story? I didn't appreciate all of that, I don't think, until I became a founder. 
and then realized how much of that is, is sort of part and parcel to what, what we're doing. I would say the other thing is making sure as you're tapping into these networks and communities and relationships, it is not just about you. You know, when you're in a small company, a large company, having a mentor, for me, it's always been a two-way street, right? I want to learn from you. You want to learn from me. What's the win-win? Every single relationship that I have. If you want to treat it as a transaction, fine. Then just tell me what you want or what you need. But don't bullshit me and tell me you want, it's a mentorship. It's not, it's a transaction. And so those are two very different things as you think about building your business. You are going to have those transactional relationships, but you really need to cultivate those relationships that are long-term, that are there. It is a two-way street. And I talk a lot about this. You'll know this from banking, reciprocity right? It can't just be about one person in the relationship. And I think every founder should know that early on. And that goes to your point across the board with mentors, people who are working for you, partnerships. I mean, reciprocity is kind of just how you should live every aspect of your life and how you run the business, right? So all great advice. And I can't wait. We'll share Luminary's information in our show notes. So women can join, go on your monthly business plan, learn as much as they can. There's so many amazing resources available. So I'm excited for them to learn more about that. You know, one question we are beginning to ask all of our guests are, what are you most proud of that a lot of people may not know about you? You know, it's so funny. I am terrible at like, you know, accomplishments. Yeah. so bad because I teach this world of you know, one of the things that I think I'm, I am most proud is that we're still here. Many of our peers, unfortunately, for, for, for lots of reasons, didn't make it or sort of, ha- you know, had to close doors. I think as a community, we never left. And there are some of our peers and competitors that, that left and are now coming back. And I, I'm proud that we never walked away. We put the needs, yes, of course, of the business and of our community in front of that. And for me, that's really important. There's no other reason that I started this company. I, I, of course, I want to make money and we are a for-profit organization, but I started the company to have real impact for women in the workforce, whether you're a woman in entrepreneurship, a woman in transition, or you're in corporate America, you're a teacher, you're a nonprofit. I don't care what you do. We want to help you. And the way we do that is, is working together. And so I'm, I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of that little girl all those years ago that went back out there and got back up and played that stick ball because I could have just easily just said, eh, this is too hard. And so if I saw that little girl, I would say, thank you. Thank you for listening to your dad, even as hard as it was and wiping away those tears and just getting back out there because that's who I am today. And I think that's who I'll be for the rest of my life. I love that, Kate. I have goosebumps just listening to you say that, but it was such a joy to have you on. And I can't wait to be in New York to see you in person, visit Luminary and share more about it. But thank you for spending the past hour with us today. It was such an honor. Thanks for having me. And and again, this is the power of relationships, right? We have been connected for many, many years and you never know when you're going to tap into those. So, and once this comes out and any of your other episodes, I will be happy to push out to our Luminary community. I know they will learn so much and it's so good to even see you on Zoom, Yasmin. Yeah, thank you, Kate. So appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. 
To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire. 